So welcome to another podcast that features Sophie Hanna, which is a very, very good thing. And she's giving me some products because last time uh, we spoke, we were talking about uh, aromatherapy. And um, she's made some recommendations, which I've since learned are very astute recommendations. There you go. Yeah. And and I'm going to buy some for Matt, and we're both going to try yes. them out. Excellent. Yes. You'll soon be addicted. Yeah. Have you got, like, a product range? Because I think no. you probably should have. Although, there is a woman called Sophie Hanna, very, very glamorous young woman with sort of blue hair. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, know what her profession is, but she has products. And um, in Superdrug, there was a whole range of Sophie Hanna body sprays. And so many people send me f- photos of, hey, look, I've seen this body spray with your name on it. Is this you? I'm like, no, I haven't got a range of body sprays. <laughs> That's the other Sophie Hannah's Hanna. Hannah's Happiness Gel. You could do that. <laughs> Hannah's Happiness Foot Massage. Hannah's Happiness uh, Antiperspirant. I will, Aftershave. I will bear it in mind. <laughs> what do you think, Matt? Yeah. Can you buy that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, okay. I'll go for that. Uh, so question number one. Uh, the last book, Sophie, you really, really enjoyed? Well, I really, really enjoyed a crime novel that I read recently called My Lovely Wife by Samantha Downing. And it starts with a man picking up a woman in a bar and you soon find out that he and his wife have got this arrangement And they're looking for the perfect woman and you don't quite know what they plan to do with her or to her. But they're in it together and he goes out and sort of trawls uh, bars and hotels for the right woman. Uh, And he and his wife have clearly got some very ill-advised plan or scheme going on. So it's a really unusual crime novel. It's not really a mystery it's more a thriller because it's like what on earth is going to happen next but this marriage is fairly horrific and also fascinating and the book is so beautifully and elegantly written i love crime novels where the prose just flows really elegantly so that you can focus on being gripped by the story and the ending is amazing and there's a great twist and yeah i just loved it you obviously love your thrillers do you have a favorite thriller writer uh, yeah, so if you asked me my favourite crime writer, I would have to say Agatha Christie. Okay. She's my all-time fave. But she's very much sort of mystery and detective. So if I'm thinking of it as a favourite thriller writer, my favourite contemporary writer of psychological thrillers is Tana French, whose latest book is called The Witch Elm. And she's written lots of books. Her first is called In the Woods. My favourite of hers is called Broken Harbour which is about a sort of ghostly housing estate where all these houses have been built and then no one had the money to move into the estate, so there's just like one or two people there. And then a family is murdered, and it's just brilliant. Uh, So I think Tana French is, for me, the best crime writer at work today. I don't know if this is a very, very well-known story, and if you're immersed in Agatha Christie, it may well be. But I only learnt today, I think it was a story in the Times Diary, that when the mousetrap opened in London, like 1952, something like that, a film producer paid £5,000 for the rights to make the movie of the mousetrap. Now, that's a lot of money to spend in 1952, and not a lot of money to spend now. But one of the clauses in the contract was he could only make it once it had finished its West End run. Really? <laughs> and it's been going for 60 years, and he's been dead for 40 of them. You know, so, But he thought he had a good contract, but it turned out... <laughs> He didn't. Oh, dear. Anyway. Gosh, I didn't know that. Yeah. 
Yeah, apparently it's true. <clears throat> Times Diary reported it. Yeah. Uh, the book you is there a book you would like to step inside of? Well, this was the most difficult yes, question. Yes, it is a tricky one. Of all, because I I was sent a list of what questions you might ask me. Yeah. Yes. And that was the one that really floored me, and I could not think of an answer until I realised that it would probably have to be. Marie Kondo's book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Is this because the one about I would, chucking up for the now? It's about throwing away everything <clears throat> that doesn't spark joy in your life. So, yes, decluttering, basically. And I would like to step into the end of that book where everything is already decluttered because I am, by nature and inclination, massively minimalist and I would love to throw away almost everything in my house and I just, for the last year or so, haven't had enough spare time because I have a very, very big house. And I, I just haven't had the time to do a proper declutter. But one day I'm going to and it's going to be amazing and I'll have hardly any possessions left and it will be great. So that is the book I would like to step into so that I could even have Marie Kondo helping me to Excellent. declutter my house. <laughs> what a good idea. Um, how long do you give a book? Do you always finish it or do, do you have a certain rule that if you, don't get, if, you, if you haven't got me by page X, then I'm off? Yeah, I almost never finish books. I mean, the books I end up reading, which is maybe about 40 or 50 a year, I would say that's a tenth of the books I start. So I will start reading almost any book that falls through the letterbox and I'll read the first two paragraphs and if I'm... Two par if they haven't got you after paragraph two, that's it? Unless there's some other... Like if I read the blurb and it says, you know, amazing plot premise and it hasn't materialised in the first two paragraphs, then I'll carry on. But generally, the books I enjoy reading... I enjoy them from the start. And I know there's only a limited amount you can do in two paragraphs, but you can still either have two paragraphs at the beginning that make you want to read on and sort of invite you in, or two paragraphs that make you think, actually, even on the basis of just two paragraphs, I can live without carrying on. And if I feel like that, then I stop. But if it's a book that I've sort of decided to read, as it were, I will give it maybe two chapters. And if I'm not if if I feel there's a choice about whether I can carry on or not, then I don't carry on. So I only really persist with books that I'm thinking, I'm really loving reading this. I couldn't possibly consider not carrying on. The <clears throat> One of the many joys in your book, as we discovered and discussed in our last podcast, is that more than any other book I think we've ever had, your book starts on the cover. You know, it, the, the, it's the, the cover is the first chapter. It's the rocket fuel that takes you in because you go, okay, I'm into this. I know exactly. Yes, absolutely. But most books, I go, oh, I'm intrigued by mm. the cover. I'm invited mm. in by the cover. Your cover is the first couple of chapters there and then. That's a good thing. Well, I think what you mean is the shout line specifically, because without that shout line, you yeah. wouldn't know. Oh, it's, what the, the, it's plot the combination of the word. It's the combination of your name, the title, the words, the and mm. the well. And I was I was determined from the start that the shout line, because the shout line could easily have be, been a sinister family dot dot dot. What secrets are they hiding dot dot dot? But I wanted the shout line to be exactly what it is. Twelve years ago. Thomas and Emily were five and three years old. Today, they don't look a day older. Why haven't they grown? And, and I wanted that longer shout line because that actually spells out the unique thing about the book. Because if it had just said a sinister family, mm -hmm. what are their secrets? 
there's loads of books about mm. sinister families. So I wanted to make sure <clears throat> that, as you say, right from the start, from the first glance, the reader knows that this is a book about two children who apparently have not grown or aged in 12 years. Describe your book collection, Sophie. Um, well, it's not sorted by any kind of logical order. So it's not in alphabetical order. It's not arranged according to genre. I've got about four rooms in my house where there are lots of bookshelves. And any book goes on any shelf in any order and then books get taken off shelves and put back in different places. So the main thing about my book collection is I can never find the book I want to find. I have to go and look through every shelf. Excellent. That's another thing that's going to be sorted when I Marie Kondo my life, when I've got more free time. Um, I mainly have every possible kind of crime fiction. Um, that's the sort of bulk of my book collection. I also have a huge number of self-help books because I am a big self-help book addict. And those are the sort of staples of my book collection. And then a lot of my book collection is bound proofs that publishers have sent me. Uh, and that fall through the letterbox. And so I have my bound proofs um, usually put in wherever there's a spare space. Uh, but So I have a lot of books, but I also regularly weed out the ones that I've read, even if I've loved them. If I'm not going to read them again and I can't think of someone to give or lend them to, I will give them to a charity shop. I don't like keeping things in the house that I'm never going to use again. Are there any books that stand out from your childhood? Some people talk about books that were read to them. Uh, others were they picked up when they were very young? Yes. So I loved mystery stories mm. even from when I was a young kid. And the, there are two series that really got me hooked on mysteries. One is very famous, Enid Blyton's Secret Seven books. I was completely addicted to those. The other, equally good and far less well-known, was a series of mysteries... Uh, written by an American author called E.W. Hildick, H-I-L-D-I-C-K, E.W. Hildick, and he wrote a series called The McGurk Mysteries about a boy called Jack McGurk, who, along with three or four of his friends who live near him in America, they form a, a sort of child gang of detectives and they solve all the mysteries before the police. So very much like The Secret Seven, but in America. And they were amazing, those books. But... Almost nobody that I mention them to has heard of them. I've never heard of them. I've never heard of them. <clears throat> yeah, they really did exist, like the two children who haven't grown. I did not imagine the McGurk <laughs> mysteries. They are real, and I just wish... I bang on about them constantly, and I keep hoping that some inspired publisher will hear me and go, I'm going to republish the mm. McGurk mysteries. Do you have a favourite biography or autobiography? Yes, I have two. And both of them are two of the best books I have ever, ever read. And I would recommend them a million percent. The first one is by an American writer called Heather Sellers. And it's called You Don't Look Like Anyone I Know. And it's a memoir of face blindness. So all her life she's suffered from a condition called prosopagnosia, where she cannot recognise faces at all. So obviously people think she's being rather rude because they say, hello, I'm your mother. And she's like, are you? I mean, mm, it's, wow. but it's much more. I mean, it's a brilliant book. There's all kinds of other stuff going on. But uh, so that's one. And then my other favorite is by a woman called Rachel Sontag. And it's called House Rules. And it's a memoir about growing up with a father who at first, when she was a young child, he just seemed a bit difficult. And then as she got older and wiser and became a teenager and then a young woman 
she started to see that actually he was seriously psychologically abusive and what's clever about it is, I mean, in one way you'd say it was a misery memoir because it is a memoir about a terrifying and unhappy childhood but it's not at all what you might expect from a conventional misery memoir because there's no beatings, locking in cupboards, no sexual abuse, nothing like that. It's just this father is on a sort of psychological level an absolute tyrant of the weirdest kind and the whole family has to pander to him and obey him otherwise terrible things happen and the memoir is really the story of how Rachel the author eventually found the courage to stand up to him and it's just brilliant. When was the last time you used a public library? Quite a long time ago. Um, I remember which library it was, it was when we were living in Bingley in West Yorkshire and we moved there in about the year 1999. So round about 2001, 2002, I started going to Bingley Public Library thinking, there's a library here, mm. I should use it. Because as a kid, I was in libraries all the time. Um, but then I sort of got out of the habit. And I just like, I don't like having to take books back by a date. That's why I don't use libraries. And it's so easy now to just download anything onto your Kindle. I get sent so many bound proofs by publishers that I've, I don't sort of feel I need to go and use a library. So it has been a while. But I'm in libraries all the time doing events. Um, so I know, you know, I, I still feel very much involved with libraries because when I go and do events there, it's often clear that there's a whole thriving community that's based around the library. Mm. Is there a hidden gem of a place where you do lots of research, where you like to squirrel yourself away and just get on with it? Not specifically research, but there is a hidden gem of a place where I do an awful lot of work, including research, including writing, including um, recording podcasts. I, I have a podcast that's based on my self-help book, How to Hold a Grudge. I, I then launched a podcast with the same name which is all about how holding grudges is actually good for you, contrary to what we've all been taught. So I record my podcast there and I do whatever work I need to do. I go to this secret place and I, it's beautiful. Where is it? <laughs> well, I'm just building up well to done. that. Subtle, <laughs> subtle, yeah. It's in Lucy Cavendish College. So Lucy Cavendish is a college in Cambridge. I am an honorary fellow of Lucy Cavendish which means I'm lucky enough to be able to use its facilities. And there's a room there called the Anna Bidder Room. And it's a beautiful room with views of the gardens and stained glass windows. And there's never anyone in it during the day. And I go and work there. And it is my little writing retreat slash hideaway. And I just love it. Almost all of my books have been finished in that room. Is, is there a book that always cheers you up? Yes. Funniest book I've ever read. In fact, I'll say two. There's the funniest novel I've ever read, which is Howard Jacobson's first novel, Coming From Behind, mm -hmm. about a university lecturer in a fairly grim polytechnic who is convinced he's destined for better things, but better things are not materialising. That book is just a work of comic genius. And the other one is, and it's, it sounds ridiculous, but I love this book, a book called Shit My Dad Says by Justin Halpin, which is a kind of comic memoir about life with his very unusual dad. And that also is just genius. That's not a novel, but it's just a brilliant, funny book. Uh, social media is something that all authors have to engage with uh, completely, as indeed your uh, your current book does. But uh, 
Are there authors that you follow on either Facebook or on Twitter that you think, yeah, there's wisdom to be had here? Anyone you'd recommend? I mean, I follow almost every writer on Twitter. I love Twitter. I'm quite addicted to it. So I, I literally follow all the writers I'm aware of and I'm following new ones every day. Somebody whose tweets recently have seemed to contain a lot of really good wisdom about life uh, is a writer called Matt Haig. Mm. Yes, he's been yeah, on. Yeah, he's been on the yeah. author of uh, reasons, reasons to stay alive. Reasons to stay alive. And, that's right. And, and, and the Christmas books recently. How, and, yeah. and there's another one, Notes on a Nervous Planet. So, I followed him for a long time, but since his work has become a bit more sort of self-help, because because when I started to follow him, he was a novelist, mm. and he still is. But as he got more into the sort of self-help writing, his tweets have become really quite focused on ways in which people can make themselves happier and improve their lives and I'm fascinated by all that uh, and so quite often I'll look on Twitter and Matt Haig will have tweeted something I'll think that is very true and very wise um, and yeah so I, I would definitely recommend his tweets. Sophie thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Well, that was the end of another fantastic chat with uh, with Sophie. How and they grown is, uh, you know, I think everyone gets a very good picture precisely of where we are with that yeah, book. Yeah, and yeah. And people would be intrigued. And we didn't do much correspondence, Matt. No, we didn't. Uh, that's a shame, isn't it? We should do, and I think we, we failed to do some before Michael Lewis as well. So what we should do is we should do another podcast where we pick up all that correspondence because well, there's loads of it. Yes, we have. So So the purpose of this is just to say, if you have got in touch with us, we have got all the correspondence. We will make sure that in the next one that we do, which is fairly soon, yeah, in the next week or so, yeah, we will make make sure that we will do all the correspondence right at the beginning. So that if you want to uh, get in touch with the program, you can tweet us at Books of the Year, or you can email Books of the Year at Yahoo dot com, and we will get to the correspondence and we will go through it, and it'll be a highlight for everybody. Yes, it will. Bye, everyone. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.